Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Joshua chapter number 24. And we're going to be looking there from verse number 11 down through verse number 15. The Bible says, starting in the 11th verse, And you went over Jordan and came into Jericho. The men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And the Lord speaking through Joshua says in verse 12, And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, and not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Love that verse. Then he says in verse number 13, And I have given you a land which you did not labor. <clears throat> and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, and the vineyards and the olive yards, which you planted not, that's what you eat. And then he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity. He says, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. I love this. Really what God is saying through his man Joshua, he says, we're drawing a line in the sand. Either you're going to serve God or you're not going to serve God. But you've got to make a choice about what you're going to do. And then he tells them, he says... From the house, or excuse me, verse 15, the, the second part there. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites as who, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I love that. Joshua says, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for your house. I can't say what you're going to do. I can't say what your family is going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for your presence this morning. Lord, we desire and are desperate for your presence. We understand and know that your presence and power is the only thing that can quench a thirsty soul. And Lord, we thirst for you today. Lord, we want to know what you say. Your word tells us that if we hunger and we thirst after righteousness, that we shall be filled. And Lord, I'm asking today that you fill us up, that you give us exactly what you, we need straight from your truth, Lord. I'm praying that you move me out of the way during this time. Lord, I can do nothing. I am nothing without you, but Lord, I realize that through you, all things are possible. So today, Holy Spirit, by your power, fill me up, pour me out and use me for your honor and your glory so that your work might be accomplished and your will might be done. Lord, we need you and we're praying right now that uh, you do the work that only you are capable of. Speak to hearts and change lives by your power in Jesus' mighty name we do pray and for your sake. Amen. Now we're still learning what it means to claim Canaan. And we found out that Canaan is a representation of the old, in the Old Testament of the New Testament victory that we have in Christ. How many of you know this morning, if you are in Jesus, if you've been born again by grace through faith, if you've been blood-bought and made a part of the family of God, 
You've been given victory because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. The Bible tells us, promises us that we have victory. So that victory that has been promised in the word of God, we know to have been purchased by the work of God, purchased by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite old hymn songs is Victory in Jesus. Let me read to you just the chorus of that old song. Man, it blesses my soul. Hope it does yours as well. Listen to what it says. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. Do you remember when God sought you? When God was on your trail? When the holy hound of heaven was after you and you couldn't do anything to shake him? That's where I was. God brought me to the place, to the end of myself, where I realized how hopeless and how helpless I was without Jesus. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he done for me what only he could do. It's what the writer says right here. He sought me and then he bought me. With his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory. Beneath the cleansing flood. So folks what I've learned. And I hope and pray what you've learned. Through this study of the book of Joshua. Is that victory in Jesus. Is more than just words written on a page. But listen. This blessed old song. Is, is powerful because it finds its foundation. In the truth of God's precious word. God's word says. We've got the victory. And the, the Bible teaches us through the book of Joshua. How to claim Canaan. How to claim that victory victory that we have. Now this morning, I want to give you three main points. First of all, I want to talk to you about our problem. Then I'm going to talk to you about our purpose. And then we're going to see our position. All right. So what do I mean when I say our problem? This is my problem. And I fear that this is probably your problem as well from time to time as the people of God. We have been given victory, victory that has been promised to us and purchased for us, but we're not walking in victory. We've been given Canaan land, but we've not claimed Canaan land. We've been given possessions, bought, bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus, but we're not possessing the possessions that God has given us. We're not walking in the victory that we have in Christ. I fear that's me from time to time and Maybe that's you from time to time. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches about the victory that Jesus purchased for us. The Bible teaches that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Do you believe that? The, the Bible says that he overcame the grave because he rose again the third day. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on and tells us the strength of sin is the law and the strength of, 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 of the law is sin. The strength of sin is the law. And then it talks about that all because of our sin, we all have to face death. But thanks be unto God who gives us victory in Jesus over the death we face. Over hell itself. The Bible says we have victory um, over death, hell, and the grave. Now what does that mean for us as children of God? As those who are in Christ. And Christ is in us. What does that mean for me and you? Well, if Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He can conquer the hell that's in your life. He can conquer the dead works that's in your life. 
and from time to time the dead works that are in my life so that we might glorify him. Let me give you a verse of scripture. Now I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. And you don't have to turn with me to all of these. But what I do want you to do please is take notes. Write down what these scriptures are so that you can go back later in your Bible and see what God's word says to you. Hebrews 6 and 1 says that we have repented from those old dead works. And now we have turned to God by faith. I love that. Now what does he mean in Hebrews 6 1 when he says we've repented from those old dead works. What are the dead works that he speaks of there? I believe dead works are any kind of work in your life. Any kind of decision or choice that you make that would not glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything in your life that is not bringing glory to Jesus is a dead work. Anything. Now, it may look good to you. It may feel good to you. You may think it's good. But I'm telling you, if it's not glorifying Christ, it's a dead work. It's a dead work. And the Bible says Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And we have victory in our lives because of who he is and what he's done. So we need to claim that victory. We need to walk in that victory. That victory that has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time that we claim our Canaan land. It's time that we possess the possession that's been purchased for us. Now, not only does the Bible teach that Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Let me give you this one. The Bible also teaches that Jesus has overcome Satan and sin. Do you know that? Let, let me give you a scripture for that. It comes from Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15. I love this verse. It's probably the earliest prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus and what he would one day come and do. It happened in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve and Adam chose to disobey God by partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin entered the world. Sin entered mankind and listen separation from God who is holy happened because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed now I don't know about some of you guys that are are listening to this sermon this morning but for me and my wife one of the greatest problems that we have when we go out on our date night is trying to find out where we're going to go eat. Does anybody else have that problem? Man, that's always with me and Brandy. I'm telling you. We'll go out and I'll say, honey, where do you want to go? she says, I don't care. Wherever you want to go is fine. i say, well, how about Red Lobster? Well, I'm really not thinking about Red Lobster tonight. I don't really want seafood. I said, okay, that's fine. How about Chick-fil-A? And I, no, I don't really want Chick-fil-A. I, I, I really like to go somewhere else. I say, okay, how about Five Guys Burgers? I love Five Guys Burgers. No, I'm really not feeling a burger. Not. Just whatever you want. <laughs> Just whatever you want. You go. But that's where we always get to on our date nights from time to time. I think I found the answer for that right here in the Word of God. Genesis 3.15, the first time. That woman chose the place they were going to eat. It cost us all a whole lot. Amen. So I want you to know, guys, don't get too upset at your wives because they don't want to choose where they want to go eat. It's kind of ingrained in them. It came from Eve, uh, the mother of all living, the Bible says. So I want you to understand and know these uh, right here in, in Genesis chapter 3 caused man to be separated because of the sin they chose to commit. Now listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 3.15. God speaks to Satan himself. 
And he tells Satan that he's going to put enmity between him and the woman. Because Satan came and tempted Eve and caused mankind to fall. Then uh, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and her. You two are going to be enemies. And he said, as a matter of fact, her seed will one day bruise your head. I love this. I love this. What does that mean? For me and you. What does that mean for mankind? Listen to me folks. When Jesus came and did what only he could do. When he finished his work of redemption. When he came and was born perfect through the virgin birth. When he lived perfect for 33 and a half years. Becoming the sinless son of God and God the son. Listen. When he went to a cross and took the punishment for my sin and for your sin. And became the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When he was buried in the tomb and then that third day when he stepped out he stomped on the head of satan he crushed his head when he overcame death hell and the grave so i want you to know listen greater is he that's in you and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world first john four and four i can't overcome satan because jesus crushed his head by his finished work are you getting this Satan no longer has power over me. And Satan no longer has power over you. That's why the Bible says, John James chapter 4 and verse number 7. Resist the devil. Draw not a God. Resist the devil. Submit yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil. And he must flee. He will flee. Why does he have to flee when we who have submitted ourselves to the Lord resist him? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus overcame Satan and Jesus overcame sin when he paid my sin debt and your sin debt at the cross. Satan no longer has power over us. Sin no longer has power over us. The only power that sin and Satan has over the believer is what we allow him to have. Jesus conquered Satan and Jesus conquered sin. Let me say something else. Jesus conquered our shame. And this is a big one. It's a big one for me. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm pretty ashamed of some of the stuff I've done in my past. I'm not proud of it. And if I spend too much time looking back, it really wrecks my present and ruins my future. I, it gets to me because I think about the opportunities and the years that I wasted just being stupid. And that was me. I knew better. I just didn't do better. See, there's a difference in ignorance and stupidity. I wasn't ignorant. I knew the truth. But I chose not to obey God and walk in the truth. So I was just stupid. Made a lot of stupid decisions. And a lot of those decisions that I made in my past bring shame to me now. Not proud of them. Now I've got good news for you. Do you know that Jesus conquered your shame and my shame when he went to the cross? I got a hold of this this week, man. It blessed my soul. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see there what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to look at one of my favorite verses. Verse number 2. 
We know that Jesus endured the cross for us, but he did more than just endure the cross. The Bible says he also despised the shame of the cross. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We see that. But then it says he despised the shame, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. We know what it means to endure the cross. We talked about that Good Friday, if you remember. Now we want to talk about what it means to despise the shame of the cross. Let's focus on those two, two words there in Hebrews 12 too. despise and shame. The word despised comes from the Greek word kataphroneo. Now kataphroneo is a compound word, kata, which means down, and phroneo, which means to think. Now when you put those two words together in the Greek, it means to look down upon, to think poorly of, to detest, or to despise to abhor its very existence. So when the Bible says Jesus despised the cross, that means he looked down on the cross. Let me tell you why. Because the cross, listen, it illustrated for Jesus and for us the sin that would be placed upon him. How many of you know it was on the cross he tasted death for every man? It was on the cross that he became our sin bearer. So here you have the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God and God the Son that's looking to the cross and seeing that all of the nastiness that mankind has to offer is about to be placed upon Him. This is someone who's never experienced the weight of sin, the curse of sin. Or the shame of sin. And so Jesus despised the cross. Not only did he see the word despised there, but he also sees he despised the shame. The Greek word for shame means something that is base, ugly, or revolting. Now I want you to think about this just a moment. Jesus was beaten to a bloody pulp. He was beaten with fists. He was beaten with the cat of nine tails. The crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was spit upon. And as he was being led to the cross, people would actually pluck his beard from his cheeks. They would curse him and cuss him out in public. And then when he gets to the cross, they strip him naked, lay him down on a cross, put spikes through his wrist and through his feet, and then drop that cross into a hole. And he hangs before God and man. Now, I want you to think about how you would feel if you were stripped naked, beaten to a bloody pulp, cursed at, spit upon, and then hung up in front of your closest friends and family. Think how embarrassed. And how shameful you would be. That's what Jesus. Went through. When he endured the cross. He despised. 
the shame. Now I know that all those, those pictures that was in your grandma's house of Jesus hanging on the cross has him in this nice, nice uh, white pair of shorts and there's one straight, uh, trickle of blood coming out of his wrist and there's two coming right here out of, his, out of the crown of thorns and then you see that one little trickle of blood coming down the, from his feet. That's not the picture of the cross, folks. He was beaten and marred more than any man. People would not even been able to recognize who he was. And then he was hung naked for everybody to see. Why? Because not only did he die for your sin, not only did he become your sin bearer, but he bore your shame. Now what does this mean? That means now I no longer have to live in the shame of my sin. Why? He paid the price for it. He took it for me. He experienced what I deserved and then gave me what I didn't deserve, which was his life. He took my punishment and gave me his presence. He took my death and gave me his life. He took my shame and he took your shame. You no longer have to live in the shame of yesterday. If your sins have been forgiven, it's over. It's under the blood. The Bible says it's washed clean. Jesus paid the price for you and Jesus paid the price for me. One of my favorite race car drivers and athletes of all time was Dale Earnhardt Sr. I love Dale Earnhardt, probably the greatest race car driver that ever lived. He's called the Intimidator for a reason. If you don't know... Uh, the Intimidator, you need to go back and look at some of the old uh, old tapes, man. This guy was something else. But when he first started, he wasn't that good of a race car driver at all. He wasn't winning many races. And his father, who had got him into racing, for he was a racer, came to the track one day and watched him drive. And, and then after the race, went and met his son. And the story goes like this. Mr. Earnhardt walks up to Dale's car, looks in there, and sees a rearview mirror put on the windshield. And he reaches in, grabs that rearview mirror, and jerks it off and throws it in the garbage can. And he said, now, son, go win the race. And Dale Earnhardt then went from being the scared, timid driver that his father saw to winning seven Winston Cup championships and being regarded as probably the greatest race car driver that's ever driven the wheels off a car. How'd he do that? He realized he couldn't spend all his time looking back if he was going to win the race. His dad knew it. You can't spend all your time, folks, looking back at how you failed. All of us have failed. I failed, you failed, we've all failed. I've got a past, I've got skeletons in my closet. You do too. Guess what? God has forgiven me. And if you placed your faith in Jesus and asked for forgiveness, He's forgiven you. What's been put under the blood is forgiven. Some of you failed at being the husband you want to be. Me too. Some of you failed at being the uh, father that you want to be, that God wants you to be, that your kids need you to be. Me too. We've all failed. Quit living in the shame and regret of yesterday. It's good to peek back at yesterday. Remember where you came from, but don't live there. 
when I peek back and look at where God's brought me from, listen, that blesses my soul. I'm glad of where he's brought me from. I'm not where I need to be yet, but praise God, I ain't where I used to be. And God is still working in my life. Praise him for that. But I'm not going to live back there, and you can't either. You've been given victory over the shame and regret of your past. Jesus not only died for your sin, he died despising the shame of the cross. Amen? You have victory. You have victory. Move on. You've made it. God brought you through. Start today. Move on. Look to Him. Keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep serving Him. Keep loving Him. Keep living for Him. He's got you. You made it. Move on. Move on. I don't know who that's for, but it's for somebody. Well, the Lord just... This, you uh, broke my heart about that this morning. You, you can't keep living in the past. Child of God, you've got to move on. you got to move on. He took my shame. He took your shame. Praise God for that. Now, not only want you to see our problem, our problem is we're not claiming this Canaan, we're not possessing our possessions. We're not walking in the victory that's already been purchased for us. But I also want you to see our purpose. And if there's one thing that Joshua has shown me, it's the purpose of the man of God, of the people of God. And if there's, if there's one word I could use to describe Joshua, Joshua has become one of my top three Bible characters. I love this brother. I'm telling you that the Lord has shown me so much about the life of Joshua. This man had purpose and he made an impact for the kingdom of God like few have ever done. It's amazing how God used him. Now, I want you to know something. Listen to me. Joshua had purpose because God loved him and wanted to use him. But my Bible also says that God is no respecter of persons. That means that if God had loved Joshua and had purpose for Joshua, God loves Israel and has purpose for me. God loves you and has purpose for you. You put your name in the blank. God loves you and has purpose for you. Are you hearing me, child of God? Are you hearing me, Christian friend? God loves you. You know that. If you trusted in Jesus, God has purpose for you. Are you hearing me, lost friend? God has purpose for you. You too. But now listen, as a lost person, somebody who's never yet trusted in Jesus and been born again, you can't realize and recognize the purpose God has for you, for you will never know how life is to be lived until you know the creator of life. And you'll never know the creator of life until you've trusted in Jesus and been born again in the family of God. I, feel, I keep saying I feel sorry for the people who don't know the Lord. And I really do. I'll tell you why. Because they're living a purposeless existence. That's a sad thing. There are, there are hospitals, psychiatric wards, packed full of people all over this country and world who don't know their purpose. Their life means nothing to them. They don't know why they're here and they can't get it all figured out. They don't know why life is to even be lived and don't care whether or not they live or die. Why? 
They don't realize their purpose. You have people on that end of the scale who don't realize their purpose and they're in hospitals and psychiatric wards and can't get out of the bed in the morning or you, you fill in the blank. You know what I'm talking about. But, there, but there's also people on the other end of the scale who's living a purposeless existence. I'm talking about those who are working to obtain the American dream, but the American dream has turned into a nightmare. I'm talking about those people that are, man, they're working hard. They're, they're working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They're, they're trying to be as successful as they can possibly be. Make all the money they can make. And when they do make all the money they can make, when they become as, as successful as they can possibly become, then they're still empty on the inside. Now, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with being successful, nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with working hard in this country and achieving something for yourself and for your family. That's not what I'm saying. Praise God we're able to do that. I'm a capitalist. I'm a proud American. Go be all you can be. You still got all the opportunity in the world in this place to do whatever you want to do. That's fantastic. But I'm saying nothing wrong with having all that stuff. Nothing wrong with having money. The problem is, did your money have you? Nothing wrong with, listen, having all the things that money buys. But I want you to know something. If you don't have Jesus, even when you get all that stuff, you're still going to be empty on the inside. You're still going to be lost and undone. You're still going to be wondering, how do I make this make sense? I'm reminded of John D. Rockefeller. At the turn of the century, he was the richest man in the world. I'm told that John D. Rockefeller, when he died, died alone, all by himself, in a big old house that he was afraid to leave from for years. Why? Money don't bring peace. Success don't bring purpose, real purpose. Because all that stuff that you've worked hard to achieve and buy, when you die, somebody's going to sell it at a yard sale for $3.50. I've said it a lot of bedsides when people have went to be with the Lord or not went to be with the Lord. And I've never heard someone say, I wish that I had a bigger TV. Never heard someone say, I wish I'd have made more money. I've heard a lot of people say, I wish I'd have been a better father. I wish I'd have been a better husband or a better wife. I wish I'd have told so-and-so about Jesus before this happened. I've heard a lot of people say that. Let me tell you why. Because when it really comes down to it, that's really the stuff that matters. That stuff that makes an impact for the kingdom of God. Are you getting me? Our purpose is to make an impact for the people of God. For the kingdom of God. Our purpose is to honor and glorify Jesus. To know Jesus and to make him known. See, that's what jacks me up. That's why I get so fired up about serving the Lord. I'll tell you why. Because that's the only thing that has eternal value. See it?
You need to understand you have a purpose. Your purpose is not just to get up, get ready, go to work, come home, watch the news, get mad about the news and argue with your wife, try to keep your kids in line, go back to bed, get up, get ready, go to work, come home, watch the news, get mad about the news, argue with your wife, try to keep your kids in line. It's, now, now, I know we all live life and we all got responsibilities. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, when, that, when, when your purpose is just... Going through the motions. Doing stuff just to get by. Your, your existence becomes mundane and purposeless. There's, there's nothing exciting and meaningful and joyful about living this gift of life that God's given you. I feel sorry for people who don't know Jesus. You've got a purpose. Child of God, do you know you've got a purpose? Do you know that? But even we can't, as people of God, we can't achieve our purpose if we don't walk in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. Let me give you a verse, and I hope this will help you and be a blessing to you. It comes from Matthew chapter number 5. And let's look down just a moment. At. Verse number 13, Matthew 5, 13, Jesus speaking to the believers, speaking to the disciples, says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast down and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may, watch this now, see your good works and do what? Glorify God. Child of God, what, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to be the light of the world. That brings glory to God the Father. Our, our purpose is to be salt. That savors. And makes a difference. Wherever we are. Our purpose. Is to lift up Christ. And all we do and say. The Bible says when he's lifted up. He'll draw all men into himself. I want to lift him up at my workplace. I want to lift him up in my church. I want to lift him up in my family. I want to lift him up. I want to glorify him. I want to do what pleases him. I want to give my life fully to him. Because he gave his life for me. He despised the shame of the cross and endured it. We need to see our problem. We need to see our purpose. But we certainly must see our position. Go back and look there. What we read just a moment ago in the book of Joshua. And I've got three quick things that I want to share with you right there. Let's look first of all at number 11. We need to remember where we were when God found us. Remember I told you a while ago about the rearview mirror. It's good to glance back at it from time to time. But you better not try to drive home looking in your rear view. You better look out your windshield. You keep looking in your rear view, you're going to have an accident. You, ain't, you certainly, Dale Earnhardt understood and realized after his father met with him that he couldn't win the race 
looking in the rear view. It's good to glance back up at it. That's good. Remember where you were, but don't live there. But we do need to remember where God brought us from. I think that's what Joshua is doing in his farewell address here to the nation of Israel. Verse number 11 says, and you went over Jordan. Where were they at before they went over Jordan? Well, they were in the wilderness. He says, before you went over Jordan, you were in the wilderness. I think he's trying to bring them back to the place of where they crossed the river. That's where we joined the, joined the gang. When, in Joshua chapter 1, they were crossing the river. The border into Canaan land. Remember where God brought you from. When you remember where God brought you from, it keeps you humble. Then you don't get too big for your britches. Then you don't get up on your spiritual high horse and want to look down on everybody else. I think that's the problem with the majority of the church today. Too many is on their spiritual high horse. You forgot what it's like to be lost. Folks, I was once lost too. Let's, let's quit getting down on lost people and, 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 and expecting sinners to do anything but do what sinners do. Sinners going to sin. They need Jesus. Meet them where they are. Show them some grace. Show them some love. Give them some truth. Shine some light in that area. Amen? But remember where you were when God found you. Number two, recognize where you are now. Look, look down at verse number 13. The Bible says, God speaking through Joshua to the people. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor. And cities which you built not. And you dwell in them of the vineyards and the olive yards. And you planted not. But you're eating what's in the land. I love this. It wasn't because of your work that you've got to where you are. It wasn't because of what you've done that you're here in this promised land. In this Canaan land. You're eating the fruit of the land that I gave you. So remember where you are, child of God. You are in Canaan land. You have the victory. Remember daily, daily to walk in that. And we'll find out how you do that. See, we need to remember where we were when God found us. We need to know where we are now. Recognize that. But you also, folks, need to realize how you got there. How do you claim Canaan? How do you walk in victory? How do you live out your faith in a way that makes an impact in this lost and dying world for the kingdom of God? I tell you how. You do it the same way Joshua and the people of God in, in, in the Old Testament claim Canaan. See, they claim Canaan by the power of God. How'd they claim? How'd they get a hold of Jericho? It wasn't because they went in with a mighty army and took it over in their own power, was it? Oh. They just did what God said. Marched around the city. One time for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. And then all of a sudden, when Joshua said shout, all the people shouted. And the Bible says the walls fell down flat. Why did that happen? Because they were just obedient to what God had told them to do. And they rested in and relied upon his power. How am I going to be an effective witness that makes an impact for the kingdom of God? I'm going to rely upon the power of God. I'm going to rest in the power of God. How am I going to be a father that God is pleased with that my kids need? How am I going to come to the place 
where I raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'll tell you how I'm going to rest in and rely upon the power of God. How am I going to be a husband that God wants me to be and my wife needs me to be? I'm going to rest in and rely upon the power of God. How am I going to be a church member God wants me to be? How am I going to be a pastor God wants me to be? How am I going to be an employee God wants me to be? Daily, to die to the flesh and walk in the Spirit. Join us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to talk a whole lot about that from Romans chapter number 8. But now let me say something to you. It is a conscious choice you make as a child of God daily to walk in the Spirit. God's going to do His part. But you must rest in and rely upon him and do your part. Do your part. Make that decision to die to the flesh, to walk in the spirit, to be what God wants you to be. Man, I'm going to tell you something. The first step in that process is relinquishing your will to his. I try to give myself afresh daily to the Lord. I, want, I try to do it before I ever put my feet on the floor in the morning. While I'm still laying in my bed and I say, Lord, today is your day. Thank you for the gift of this day. And I'm asking you to use me, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. I'm trusting in you to help me to be the husband that I need to be, the father I need to be. Help me to honor you in all I do. Do that daily. Relinquish your will. To God's will. And the great thing about that is. He promises to hear your prayer. And give you his power. To help you do all that. Isn't that amazing? Remember where you were when God found you. Realize where you are now. Listen, recognize how you got there. It's by the power of God. That we claim Canaan. That we walk in victory. And then I think Joshua tries to tell them, you need to stay where you are. You're in the promised land now. Stay there. Look at verse 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Folks, remain in Canaan serving the Lord. I can't speak for anybody else. I can't make someone else's decision, nor can you. But what I can do is say, as for me, in my house, what I have responsibility for, we're going to serve Jesus. Amen. Keep living in Canaan land. Keep serving the Lord. Keep being faithful. Rest in Him. Rely upon Him. He's good. He loves you. He loves you. Realize our problem. Remember, you've got a purpose. And then, folks, 
recognize the position you have. If you're a child of God this morning, Canaan land has been given to you. You have victory in Jesus. If not, don't you want it? Don't you want it? Don't you want to be free of the power of Satan? Free of the guilt and shame of sin? Don't you want to know the Lord? To experience His power and presence? That's what makes life worth living. Knowing Him. Knowing Him. I'm telling you. Again, I, just, I feel sorry for people who don't know the Lord. If you don't know Him today, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm asking you today to call upon Him. Tell Him, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to make me a part of your family. And I'll promise you this, the same one who has saved me can and will save you. If you are saved, let's leave these services today. And go out and be what God has saved us to be. Resting in and relying upon His power. I don't tell you what. I want to raise up warriors in my household with my children. I want to raise up warriors for the kingdom of God. Whew. Boy, every time I look at those kids, the Lord just breaks my heart for that. I'm... If there's one thing I don't want to fail in, I don't want to blow it in that. God help me. God help us. When I think about all that woman does for me, how much she loves me, I don't want to mess up being the husband that loves his wife like Christ loves the church. I don't want to mess that up. God help us. To rest in and rely upon Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank You, Lord, for what You've shown us in Your Word. Thank You for purchasing Canaan land, victory, by Your finished work. Thank You, Lord, for enduring the cross, despising the shame. How good You are. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.